You know, the other night I was in my, walked in my kid's room, as I usually do as I, before I go to bed. They're fast asleep. And I was in my girl's room and I looked around at my oldest in her bed. And she's got stuff everywhere. She's got a pile over here and a pile over here. And, and I, sometimes I wonder how she even can sleep amidst all this stuff. I say stuff, you might call it things or shiny objects you might refer to it as. And then she has her little, her little boxes or containers. Sometimes it's a cloth purse or whatever to keep those shiny objects, those things inside And I shouldn't pick on her too much because my other daughter, she's very similar. Only she likes things that are green. She loves little round things like marbles. Sometimes it's the little seeds that come off the bushes outside, but the same types of things. She's collecting all these trinkets, these things, and she likes to put them into little boxes or containers. And you know, those containers are very important. Because then they can carry them around during the day and don't you dare touch those things because then there's problems that come from that, right? Kids, right? Well, one thing I've found about kids is often they're displaying those natural tendencies, those fleshly tendencies that we all have. They're just exhibited unvarnished in our children. We have shiny objects too, right? Those things we're after, those things we're chasing, our possessions, And boy, don't get near our possessions because we get pretty sensitive about that too, right? So how different are we? We have money all around us, things all around us. And it's displayed in our lives in different ways, like the bills that come to our mailbox and we see what we've bought, the things, the trinkets. Or how about the notifications we now get on our cell phones telling us we've bought something else or our wife has bought something else. Or the notification by, by UPS telling us they're delivering our next Amazon order, right? Things, it's all around us. Wealth, money, cars on the freeway. You're driving down the freeway and you see the opulence of the cars on the freeway. It blows my mind as I see all the Teslas out there. I mean, we live in a very opulent area, do we not? I look around at the houses as I drive to work and Boy, it's amazing, some of these houses. And then I walk into my own house and I say, opulence. Now, I could argue that my house is pretty average, and it is, but the reality is, is that I still live in opulence. If I'm really honest with myself, I'm living in opulence. Do you look around and see all the money around you that you live in? It's everywhere, and we get used to it. And we begin to measure ourselves against the area around us rather than measuring ourselves against the rest of the world. But let's just take a moment and look at what is the the average income out there? What would you guess? If we were in the 50th percentile, based upon 2018, we'd be making in a salary about 63,000 as a household income. If we were in the upper 25 percentile, it would be about 110,000. If we were in the top five percentile, it would be about 250,000. Where do you sit in those numbers? And I understand it's not all about income, it's also about wealth and there's so many other factors, but it's at least a measuring stick of how we can look at how we live and the opulence that we live in. 
Here's a, here's a stat for you. Orange County ranks, as, ranks number nine as other, compared to other counties in California. Number nine. The richest, third richest zip code in California, third richest, 92657. You probably thought I was going to say 56 here at Elisa Viejo. 92657. That's Newport Coast running up into Irvine there. Third richest in California. Now, how does that compare to the rest of the world? We don't think of ourselves as rich in general, I think. Usually we think we have somewhat modest means. Do you tend to think that sometimes? Well, how about comparing to the rest of the world? Ethiopia, for example. Average annual income, household income, $800 per year. How about Pakistan? Pakistan is at $1,600 a year. Ukraine, that seems like more than a small third world country. Ukraine at $2,600 per year annually. Not much. So now what do you think of your income, of the opulence you live in? And I know we can, these waters can get kind of muddy as I throw these numbers out, but I trust that I don't have to do too much to convince you that we have much money, right? We are rich. We're very wealthy. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm out of work and I really don't have income. And I get that and I want to be sensitive to that. But the issue here is not really how much you have, how much income you have, how much wealth you have. The issue here is really how you regard that money, how you are pursuing getting income. That's where the love of money comes in. And I want you to check your heart because you might have substantial income and substantial wealth and not have a love for money. And then again, you might not have much with very little income in, coming in and you might have a severe issue with love of money. So let's check our heart. Let's question our heart. Open your Bibles to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. This is in your lesson, so I'm sure that you referenced it already. The rich young man that comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And you probably remember the story. You remember the story. You've heard this before. Jesus' response after that dialogue about keeping the commandments. I'm, by the way, in Matthew 19, verse 16. So there's this back and forth dialogue. And he says, yes, I've kept all those commandments. And then in verse 21, we read, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now let me ask you, I'm guessing that you've looked at this passage before, not only in your study, but, but maybe even the first time you looked at it. Tell me and think about this. Well, I don't want you to yell it out, but... What were your inner thoughts when you first heard this verse or read this verse? Did you ask yourself, wow, would I be willing to give it all up? How would I respond to that question? Do you shudder a little bit at how you would respond? Tonight, I want you to examine your heart because this is an issue that we can look right past. And, and I want you to be checking yourself. Am I a lover of money? You might not have walked in here thinking you are, but I really want you to do a heart check and see where you're at. So let's paint out some examples of what a lover of money might look like. Let me just give you first, I'll start off with some obvious ones. 
You commit murder so you might have financial gain. Pretty obvious, right? You steal or cheat for financial gain. Another obvious one. You do whatever it takes to make money because that's your top priority. You are in such pursuit of money that you don't even recognize when you're hurting those around you. You cheat on your tax returns to avoid paying additional taxes. Government's cheating you anyway, so right, that's okay. Or maybe you just fudge a little on some of the write-offs that you take on your taxes. Perhaps you fudge a little on that contract you have with somebody. It won't make that much difference, right? Maybe one of your vendors undercharges you on an invoice and it's in your favor, but you don't say anything about the mistake. You spend hours and hours neglecting your responsibility in pursuit of money, whether it be your responsibility with your home, your children, whatnot, because your top priority is money. Am I getting any closer to the mark here as we drill down? Are you reluctant to give to church because you're in pursuit of more money and you're just not sure if you're going to have enough? When it comes to tipping at that restaurant, are you a little bit tight-fisted because you're not sure you're going to have enough? When it comes to paying for somebody else's meal, are you, do you hold back? Now, perhaps some of these are hitting the mark and some are not, or maybe you're, in your head you're rationalizing, well, I'm not exactly like that. But again, it's all about your heart. And my greatest concern for you tonight is that you will too quickly dismiss this as a problem, saying this is not a problem for me. I don't have to worry about this. But I want you to carefully look at this and I want you to be vigilantly guarding against the love of money. And that brings us to our first point. Vigilantly guard against a love of money. By the way, I wrestled with should I put against the love of money or a love of money and I felt that a love of money was a little more personal. Vigilantly guard against a love of money in your life. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil. And, and you probably already know that this is a misquote of 1 Timothy 6.10. Because it actually says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. But let's go to that verse and take a look. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 10 should give us a clear understanding of the seriousness that we should have about the love of money. The root of all kinds of evils, so serious that it caused some to walk away from the faith. This is serious stuff. And I think we have a tendency to be too casual about it. My wife likes to light candles in our house, and I appreciate that, the ambiance that it gives, and, and it reminds me that it certainly wasn't like this when I was a bachelor. Candles were not high on my priority list, but I, I do enjoy it. The smell is nice, the ambiance is nice. And one time, we had these candles going in the, in the living room there, and they were on these big stands, big thick candles, and I happened to look back to see this flame just biting out of that candle. 
and licking quite high on the hall, on the wall there. In fact, there was some black soot forming on that wall. And I thought, oh my goodness, if I hadn't seen that, this whole house could have come down. And I, I also thought, thank goodness that it was away from curtains or something like that because whew, it would have been up in flames in a flash, right? Fire is a good thing, is it not? It brings warmth. We use it in our furnaces. We use it in our fireplace. It, has, it brings ambiance. We cook our food with it. Fire is a good thing. But we dare not underestimate the danger of fire, right? And money is the same way. Money can be a good thing. You might sit here and argue, it's good for me to have money because I can use that money for God's kingdom. Amen, you can. But you dare not underestimate the dangers of money. And I think sometimes we are way too casual about this. And we don't recognize how slowly our attitudes shift. For example, we're working in our field, whatever work that might be, and we're having successes, and we're building on those successes. And with those successes comes income and more income. The greater success we have, the greater income. In fact, that even becomes our measuring stick of how well we're doing in our job. So we're pursuing it. We're focused on it more and more. And we don't even recognize that our attitude has shifted. Our focus on money, our love for money has begun to take hold and we don't even recognize it. Now go back to our passage in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, we're gonna look at verse, uh, we looked briefly at verse 10, we're gonna look at verse nine now. Verse nine. But those who desire to be rich, okay, now I know you're working, you're focused on work, you're doing well, you're not thinking I'm desiring riches, but it's starting to creep in. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Look at the evils there in that verse. Temptation, pursuit of riches that brings temptation. Or especially the next one, snare. Desiring to be rich will expose you to a snare, a trap. Picture something that's luring you in to trap you. That's money. It will draw you in to harmful desires. Lust, for example. Desires for sinful habits. Maybe it's gambling or maybe it's, it's spending on on expensive cars or fancy restaurants, whatever it may be, it draws you in, in pursuit of those material things. And it brings about ruin. There's not simply adverse consequences. We're talking, this passage tells us ruin and destruction that causes us to wander away from the faith. This is costly, very costly. I wanna bring you back to Matthew 19 and the rich young man who has walked away. And look what Jesus says in verses 23 through 24. Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24. Truly I say, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you a rich man? I'd venture to say both many of us are right there in that category. 
Even though this passage is speaking about the love of money, look at what Jesus is talking about. He's telling us that even having riches is dangerous to us. We need to be vigilant in guarding against a love of money. I was speaking to a friend about this message that I was about to give. And he told me about a time where he worked in the mortgage industry. This was before he was a believer. And he said he, he remembers in the beginning, he'd look around and he'd see his fellow coworkers there over the light box forging their clients' signatures. And he said it disgusted him. He could not believe it. Well, time went by and my friend began to do more and more business, began to have more and more experience. And without even realizing it, that disgust that he once had had dissipated. He was now making lots of money. And now it was him that was not only forging signatures, but was very proud of himself that he didn't need a light box to do that. At first, it was just out of convenience. Maybe it was just a disclosure that was missed by the client. That does, that's not going to matter. And then that turned into actually forging fraudulent documents. And that's how it goes. That's how it tempts us and snares us into destruction. Psalm 62.10 says, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Proverbs 23.5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. I know, as men, it is difficult for us. We are, we are there to earn money, to support our family, and times will be tough. There will be times when our finances are at risk or we're struggling to make ends meet. And I certainly don't want to make light of this. But the question is, where are we placing our trust in these times? Where is our trust? Turn with me to Hebrews 13.1. Hebrews 13.1. In Hebrews 13, 13, 1, the writer is telling his audience of the things they should be doing in order to be pleasing God. So in, ver in verse 1, for example, he talks about let brotherly love continue. In verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor. And then we get to verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, before we move on, I want to give you a little bit of context to this particular passage. Flip back to chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. I want to give you a perspective about the Hebrew audience that he is speaking to. Hebrews 10, verse 32 but recall the formal, former days when you, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle for, with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. My reason for showing you this about the Hebrew audience that our author is speaking to is they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they were focused on a better possession. Yet three chapters later, 
our author is telling them and warning them. Live a life that is free of the love of money. I think the reason why he's doing this is because he recognizes the dangers of money. Even though they've demonstrated a righteous heart towards money, he's warning them, be vigilant against the love of money. And you too need to be vigilantly guarding against the love of money. Looking back at Hebrews 13, 5, he says, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? You see, the antidote, antidote to, the, to the love of money is placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our helper and he will never leave us. So when we're facing hardship and when we're struggling to make ends meet, even though things are, whether they're good or bad, your faith cannot be in your bank account. Your faith needs to be in the Lord. Proverbs eleven twenty eight tells us, whoever loves, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. What do the righteous do? The righteous put their faith in the Lord. And that's what we need to be doing. And that's, that phrase from Hebrews should bring us great comfort. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Trust in God's provision, not our own. That brings us to point number two. Trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision, not our own. Where is your faith? Is it in the Lord's position, provision or is it in your own? I think all too often we affirm that our faith is in God, but we don't truly live that way. Just consider your inclination when things are going well. Whether you've got that big sale or whether you had that success at work and maybe you've got the promotion. And what do we tend to do? We tend to quickly pat ourselves on the back and say, well, that makes sense. I worked hard for this. Finally, people are recognizing my skills. And yet, where do those skills come from? right? They come from the Lord. Everything we have comes from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if, you, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything comes from above. James 1, 17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God has given you all that you need, whether it be wealth or income or skills, and God owns it all. Psalm 24.1 tells us, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So knowing that he owns it all, knowing that God owns it all and he is the giver of all that you have, should it be difficult for us to trust in him and to trust in his provision? And yet it is difficult, isn't it? We have to constantly remind ourselves to put our trust in him and not in ourselves. I've had plenty of times personally in my sales career where I was confident that a sale was coming to me. I'd worked hard for it and surely it is mine. And at the last minute, I lose the deal. 
And I'm kind of surprised at the number of times where I, re- I don't respond well. I get discouraged. I think, how can this happen? I deserved that. And then fortunately, the Holy Spirit begins to knock on my conscience. And I'm reminded that everything comes from God and God is in control. And if I lost that deal, it did not go without God's knowledge and his acceptance. Fortunately, that is a discipline that has been a little easier as as my life has gone on. But I realize that's something that I have to continually practice, thanking him, recognizing that every good thing that I get comes from him. Turn with me to Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19 tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall, I, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you're facing those times of tribulation, when you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet, you should be marking this passage and going back to it. Your heavenly father knows that you need all of them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Go back with me to 1 Timothy 6, where we were earlier. But I want you to go in that chapter and look at verse 17. Earlier, Paul was warning us about the love of money and the dangers of money. And then towards the end of the chapter, Paul is telling us to fight the good fight, the good fight of faith. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We can go to so many other passages where God, where the Lord tells us that he will take care of us. We looked at Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So why should there be any struggle in trusting him in our finances, in our provision? And it comes down 
to a test of faith. It comes down to how much we've been practicing trusting in the Lord up to this time. What really matters is when we're facing those tribulations, how do we respond? And that's going to take discipline on your part. Consider, consider Abraham. He had to deal with, with this trusting God completely. His greatest te- test to give up his son, a son that he had waited for some 25 years to come. And now the Lord is asking him to give up his son. Well, Abraham passed that test. He did well with that particular test. But as we go back and examine Abraham's walk, there were many times when he didn't pass the test. Throughout that 25 years, there were times when he did well and times that he did poorly. For example, with Sarah, twice he lied about Sarah being his his sister because he feared for his life. And yet God's promises had been given to him and he should have been able to trust in those promises. Abraham showed faith at other times, even when he's called, called from his homeland to come to Canaan. He trusted God there. In chapter 15, God promised him many descendants, as many as the stars in heaven. And Abraham trusted him. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we could dig deeper, but my point is Abraham continually, was continually growing in his faith. He practiced putting trust in the Lord. And that prepared him for the greatest test of all. And that's what I want you to do. So start marking your journey. Look at all the ways that God has already provided for you. Because one of the keys to Abraham being able to trust the Lord was that he was able to see that God kept his promises. And God indeed does keep his promises. 1 Corinthians 9 tells us God is faithful and you can, you can, you can certainly trust in that. God is faithful. So put your faith into practice day by day. And before I move on, I want to just make one more point in terms of the treasures that we're building. Matthew 16, which we already covered, do not lay, for yourself, lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. My brother and I, we, we bought a ski boat many years ago. We loved to ski and we loved that boat and that boat allowed us to ski. We bought it used and it certainly wasn't anything fancy, but we dove in and we fixed that boat up. We were buying covers to protect it. We were buying new stereos to put in it. We were using our elbow grease to, to pretty it up. And did I mention money? Oh, we spent a lot of money on that thing. It seemed like every year was a new boat cover for the crazy thing. And then new upholstery. I remember how pretty it looked after that. And then the new carpeting that went in and and then came that big costly motor that we had to replace, oof. But we, that was our baby. We loved that boat and we, we put so much into it. But there was also so much money we put into that thing. Boat storage and insurance and registration. And then life happened. Soon we weren't able to go out skiing, or at least I wasn't able to. My brother wasn't able to go so much. And the boat sat outdoor in storage, in the desert, in Blythe. In my head, that boat looked the same as when it was all prettied up until he brought it back to the driveway and I saw it. Wow. It was covered in soot, probably a good half inch thick throughout the bottom of the boat. 
When you put your hand on the upholstery, it just collapsed and cracked and left a dent. <laughs> our, little, our little treasure there was destroyed. And I could not help but think of Matthew 6 and that description God, that Jesus gives us about treasures that are heavenly treasures versus earthly treasures. Our, our boat was not something we should be putting our money into. Let's get our mind off the temporary and let's get our mind focused on eternity instead. Put your eyes on the riches of eternity and not on the goods of this world. That's a practice that we need to get into. In order to get our eyes off the, off the world, we need to be content with what we have, what God has already given us. You know, we had Fall Fest, of course, a couple weeks back. And I've got three kids and they were excited about Fall Fest. In fact, days before they kept asking, is it today, is it today, is it today? And then the day arrives, October 31st, and they got here early with mom. Mom wanted to make sure that they got a chance to experience everything. The candy, the food, what, the rides, the games, all of it. In fact, at the end of the night, it was nearly nine o'clock and we were still here and we were headed out. And you know what happens at that hour. That's the crash and burn hour. So we're ushering them to the car and, oh, I want to do another ride. I'm hungry, which means I want more popcorn or more candy. You know, no matter what, nothing, it was just tears. It was crazy. And I'm trying to get their, their heads focused on what, all the joys that we just had. And I asked my one daughter, I said, didn't you have fun tonight? And I knew what was coming when I asked it. I thought, why am I asking this? Didn't you have fun tonight? No, she says with tears coming down her cheeks. But once again, we laugh at that. But how much so are we the same way? We are looking at the next thing that we can buy and not even paying attention to the stuff, the junk that we have stored in our garage. We are so wrapped up with things. We're not experiencing contentment. And that's what we should be practicing, experiencing contentment and thanking God for all he has done. And most of all, for having thanksgiving for the thing that is most important in our lives, and that is Christ and the salvation we get from that. And I can't help but think of Judas. He is walking with the creator of the world and he sells that for 30 pieces of silver. His love of money had overtaken him. And I don't want that to happen to any of us. Our salvation is the most precious gift that we have. Let us thank God for that. Are you blinded by your pursuits? What are you chasing after? Are you chasing after the next rush, the next thrill, the next big deal? That sale that you're going after? That new shiny car? Once again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you having money, but recognize the dangers and make sure your heart is right. What I want you to be placing your, your focus on is a pursuit of Christ and your relationship with Christ. That's where you need to be, be focused. And that brings us to point number three. Pursue Christ for your greatest contentment. Pursue Christ for your greatest contentment. 1 Timothy 6, where we've been several times tonight, we started in this chapter in, in verse 9 and 10, warning us about the, the love of money. But look at the verses just before that, starting in verse 6. So 1 Timothy 6, 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it, out of the world. For if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Do you see the simplicity in that? If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Instead of chasing all those shiny objects all around, let us get focused on our pursuit of Christ. How's your prayer life? How are you doing there? Are you in God's word daily? Are you serving the body of Christ somewhere here at Compass? Are you giving sacrificially? Are you generous to those around you? This is what we should be pursuing. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Verse 11 tells us, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in my presence of many witnesses. Our contentment is going to be in pursuit of these things of righteousness. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rest satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. What a promise that is. Whoever has it rest satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. Look at the comfort we can have in, in, in our pursuit of the Lord. The pursuit of, of the world and all the riches the world offers, that's just a mirage we will never be happy with that. A, f- a philosopher by the name of Arthur Schopenhauer, he was known as a significant pessimist, a philosopher of pessimism, matter of fact, but I think his quote hits the mark quite well. He said, wealth is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. How true is that? You will never be happy with more money, but you can pursue Christ for your greatest contentment. Psalm 34.10 says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do Do you want to have no lack in good things? Seek the Lord. Those good things are all around you. For example, the relationships around you, the quality times with your wife and your kids. Those sweet times of fellowship as you build up one another in Christ. The joy of giving of yourselves and sharing with others. Those are the sweet times. And let me close with Proverbs 30 because this proverb shows true contentment. Proverbs 30, verse seven through nine. Proverbs 30, verse seven through nine. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Our contentment is found in him. That proverb is telling us just to desire only what I need, God. Give me only what I need. And let me focus on bringing glory to you and not to me. Our contentment is found in the Lord and may we be focused on thanksgiving in all of this. For he 
is the one that will protect us from being ensnared by the love of money. If you were at church this weekend, you probably heard the video or watched the video, I should say, of Michael and Vicky Zarati. I was quite moved with that video as I looked at their lives and how significantly they were changed in an instant. On the eve of her birthday, she wakes up to no arms, no feet, I'm sorry, no hands, no feet, I should say. And now she's dealing with having to live an entirely different life. The simple joys that she would normally experience, like playing the piano, she mentioned, she can no longer do that. And what about Michael? At one point, he's walking out the door to go to work. And in an instant, that all changes. And now his focus is on taking care of his wife. And praise the Lord for their faith. And I'm sure that they went through great, great growth in this trial. But praise the Lord for their, for their faith. Because they face this storm and they take joy in the experience that they have coming out of it. You will face storms. They will come. Are you prepared? Be on guard. Be vigilant and guard yourself against the love of money. For the Lord will sustain you. May your focus be there and your trust be there. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us to be honest with this topic, to be trusting in you fully. It's easy for us to say that, God. It's easy for us to just dismiss this out of hand and say, that's not something I struggle with, God. But I think in our heart of hearts, each of us struggle to some level with some aspect of this topic that we're studying with tonight, Lord. So may you just work on our hearts through your spirit and make changes in our lives so that we wake up daily practicing contentment by thanking you for all you've given us, practicing trusting that you will provide and being on guard against the love of money, God. Most of all, we just pray that you would help us to be secure in our faith. May it be a genuine faith because that would be the greatest loss of all, God. We just praise you in all this in Christ's name. Amen.